Now we give a warm welcome to everyone to worship this evening, both those in the building here and those joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm 102. It's the second version, page 366 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song. Psalm 102 at the beginning. Lord, hear my prayer, and let my cry of speedy access unto thee. In day of my calamity, O hide not thou thy face from me. Hear when I call to thee that day, and answer speedily return. My days like smoke consume away, and as an hearth my bones do burn. We'll sing verses 1 to 7 of Psalm 102. Lord, hear my prayer, and let my cry have speedy access unto thee. together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, that song reminds us that the pilgrimage of the believer in this world sometimes involves immense struggle and great difficulty. We realize that the songwriter there felt great loneliness. We pray, O Lord, that if there are those who are here this night, 
or joining in some other way who are experiencing that difficulty that they would remember that uh, this is a song of a child of God sometimes the enemy of our souls seeks to throw doubts into our minds about the very basis of our salvation but may we remember that we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity and we cannot save ourselves but we are here this night to worship the Lord of that song the God who sent his only begotten son into this world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life we pray that we would more and more listen to your word and we pray that it would give us stability in life we pray that in the midst of the storms that sometimes we encounter that it would give us balance and equilibrium we pray O oh Lord that this night at the end of a beautiful day that we would remember that you are a God of great beauty and a God of great goodness but our confession is that it doesn't stop us from moaning and groaning and complaining so often we pray that we would be given the grace to master ourselves to put aside a complaining spirit and to be grateful to the Lord and to be thankful to the Lord each and every day we give thanks this night once again Lord for family bonds our prayer is that we would all be found in Christ so that in the great beyond we are together with you forevermore which is far uh, better we think of others who are in great difficulty we think of the um, the parents of the Battersby boy as they fight a court decision to switch off his life support these are difficult and these are traumatic issues to, to deal with remember them in your mercy we pray we think of the people of the Ukraine this night we think of the many Russian families bereft because so many Russian soldiers as well as Ukrainian soldiers have been killed on the battlefield. O oh Lord our God, wherever there are people in power who are abusing that power, we pray that they would be brought down. And we pray that for our own nation amongst others we would be given leaders who acknowledge that righteousness alone exalts a nation remember those who are in leadership who believe in you but who find it exceedingly difficult O oh Lord our God we realize that we live in such an upside down topsy-turvy world we are grateful for the decision that has come out of the Supreme Court in the United States of America but the reaction is so vociferous and so bitter that a fundamental right of the human race has been denied them and we realize that that is completely and utterly not the situation. May we afford the security and the protection to the unborn that we would afford to any the child that has been born. O Lord our God, we pray this night that as we gather here that you would be in our midst so that we sing in such a way and pray and preach and hear in such a way as it would redound to the honour and the glory of, uh, of your name. Remember our Queen. We thank you for her. In her old age she has been such a great example to us for many many decades we pray that you'd sustain her and you pray that you would bless her in the midst of the difficulties that she faces remember this community O oh Lord each and every one in it remember those among us who are mourning the loss of loved ones 
you are speaking to us in the events of life every week of the year O Lord our God may we be wise about these great issues and in the song that we were singing this morning the soul's redemption it's very precious but we can't save ourselves nor can we save anybody else but you can and that's why we are here this night so be with us we pray guide us and keep us and bless us all and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen now let's continue to sing to God's praise in this song Psalm 102 second version at verse 8 I all day long amid a scorn reproached by my malicious foes the madmen are against me sworn the men against me that arose for I have ashes eaten up to me as if they had been bread and with my drink I in my cup of bitter tears a mixture made we'll sing verses 8 to 12 of Psalm 102 I all day long am made a scorn
read God's word as we find it in the book of Exodus and at chapter 14. We'll read at the beginning of the chapter, Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pehereth in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory over Pharaoh his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning marched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel. For the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord. And in his servant Moses. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord our God. Your ways are past finding out. And our ways are so wicked. We look at the Israelites there and they were so ready to be so disrespectful. And so thankless in the face of you doing so much for them. We look at the history of Israel and we see how ready they are to forget the stupendous works of God on their behalf. Gone in a moment. But that is true to our own fallen human nature. We ask you to have mercy upon us. And just as the Israelites panicked with the Red Sea before them and the chariots of Pharaoh behind them, May we remember this, that this is your universe, and you can do with it whatever you will. And so when the waters are commanded to divide, they do divide. And we pray that when we face perplexing problems in life's journey, that we would remember who you are, and that we would be enabled to trust in you. We pray that whatever may be perplexing any this night, that we would turn towards you and that we would hide further under the shadow of uh, your wing. We pray that wherever your people are gathered together across the globe this night, that you would be in the midst to bless and where people are all alone, as was the case in the song that we've just been singing, May they remember that they can never be utterly alone because you are there. Not just to initiate a great work of redemption, but to carry it through each and every day and to bring it to a state of accomplishment. Our salvation is so tied up in the God of salvation. And we pray that we would bow in worship and adoration afresh this night because of who you are. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in the same song, Psalm 102 and at verse 13. And it's all change in the song now. Thou shalt arise, and mercy yet thou to Mount Zion shalt extend. Our time for favour which was set, behold, is now come to an end. And let's remember this. It's not the time of favour that's coming to an end. It's the waiting for the time of favour that's come. To, the waiting's over. The time of favour is here now. I, saints, take pleasure in her stones. Her very dust to them is dear. All heathen lands and kingly thrones on earth thy glorious name shall fear. We'll sing verses 13 to 22 of Psalm 102, thou shalt arise.
It's in the Scottish Psalter. We've been looking at it. It's the first verse, and it's page 231 of the Psalter, and it's at verse uh, 4. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Thy paths, O teach thou me, and do thou lead me in thy truth, therein my teacher be. For thou art God that dost to me salvation send, and I upon thee all the day expecting do attend and in particular what we want to look at uh, this evening is this constant dependence upon God for those who experience his salvation 
Thou art the God that does to me salvation send, and I upon the all the day expecting do attend. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. It's basically this utter dependence upon God for all of salvation. And if we go to the Old Testament, one of the most significant things that God does in Old Testament history is the redemption of his people from Egypt. And you'll remember that from 1446 BC right up until the time of Christ, apart from a wee bit of the history when it all fell by the wayside, but for the vast majority of that period, the Jewish people celebrated Passover. And indeed to this very day, there are still some Jews in the world who celebrate Passover simply because they do not believe that Jesus, who was or is, who he claims to be. We as Christians do not celebrate the Passover because it has been superseded by the Lord's Supper. We believe that Christ is who he claimed to be. There are still some Jews in the world who are still waiting for their Messiah to arrive and so they will still celebrate the Passover. Not in the same way as it was celebrated in the Old Testament times. How they get around all that, well, um, that's not for me to answer this evening because with a Passover lamb you kill the lamb and you would put uh, some of the blood on the doorposts and on the door lintels. But tonight what I want us to do is I want us to go back to see that great redemptive act of God in the Old Testament history and to see how God initiates it and then to see how God enables it and then to see how God accomplishes it because there is a direct parallel between that and what God does for every person who is saved and what God does for every person that is saved is exactly what the psalmist says I upon thee all the day every day expecting to attend so let's look at it from these three perspectives initiation, enabling and accomplishment first of all initiation whose idea was it to take the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt well you know at one stage in Moses' history it was his idea Moses you will remember had the best education I think we can possibly say the best education that the world could afford in his day because the superpower was Egypt and um, when Moses was adopted into the royal household he was exposed to all kinds of learning in the land of Egypt but you'll remember that he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to afford himself the benefits and the trimmings of being part of the royal family in Egypt and good on him good on him for doing that but just because Moses does something good in one area of his life does not mean that he's doing things good in every area of his life and I think we are all in that boat we may do things in our lives that are a credit to us or a credit to our home or community or church or whatever but the bottom line is this we are severely flawed every last one of us we are severely flawed but you'll remember that Moses was very considerate concerning the Jewish people and you'll remember on that occasion when he comes across uh, a fight between one of the Jewish people and one of uh, the Egyptians and he intervenes and he kills a man and that puts an end to Moses' great plan of him redeeming the Jewish people 
Because you'll remember that eventually he realizes it's out there. He thought he got off with it. He did something that we're very prone to doing when we do something wrong and we think, well, nobody else really knows. I'm going to just stick it all under the carpet and I'm going to live in the hope that that's where it stays. But it didn't stay there for very long at all. And he realizes it's out in the open and he has to flee. So it was Moses' idea at one point. Moses did initiate something where it was pure disaster. It all falls apart. It all ends up in smithereens. And that's where all work that depends on the ego of men ends up. So who then did initiate the redemption of the Jewish people from uh, the land of Egypt. It was God. It's God who starts at the very beginning. And you know, the great irony is this. The man that God chooses to do God's work for him is none other than Moses. It's the man who failed so, so miserably 40 years ago. And when God decides to tell Moses, Moses, this is my plan. This is what I'm initiating. And you're the man I'm going to use. Moses recoiled in abject horror. And you think, how does that work? How does that work? Well, it works at this level. For 40 years, God took Moses out into the Midian desert and he got him to attend sheep and livestock. And in these 40 years, Moses learned so, so much. Not just about these flocks, but about himself as well. He gets insights and he has a learning. You know, we live in a world where we, um, where we, we classify people and perhaps their jobs and perhaps their education and, you know, if, if, if you reach the PhD level, you've made it. That's not the way God operated with Moses. And you know, even in the days of ancient Israel, and indeed even in the days of Christ himself, the shepherds were a despised group of people. Well, God didn't despise this shepherd. He educated this shepherd. And it's amazing as you go through biblical characters, how many of them God sends into a pastoral world to glean an education for work that's out there in the future. Do you know, I remember um, often people up in the West, particularly tourists, <laughs> my, my, my granny had a wee cafe and tourists would come in and I would be there as a boy and we were blathering away to them and quite often they would talk about stupid sheep. There was nothing stupid about the sheep. Um, you know if, if the sheep in the west if a car came along the road sometimes on single tracks the sheep would be sitting in the middle of the road and the sheep wouldn't bat an eyelid they would be tooting their horns and what not and, and what I mean is the sheep were used to these vehicles but when it would come the time you know the hogs would come home from wintering in the east coast and when the hogs would come home from wintering in the east coast, they would have no knowledge of vehicles or anything like that. So you would be going along a road where normally the sheep would just sit at the roadside. They wouldn't bat an eyelid if a car came along. But the hogs had no idea uh, what a car was even probably. And they were liable as you went along the road to dart out in front of you and you could be into them before you knew where you were. 
But give that animal just a wee bit of time and it got used to the traffic. You know, Michael was telling me about a blue face Lester that he had on one occasion. And this blue face Lester had triplets. And you may not want to leave a sheep with triplets. You may want to take one away so that she can make a good job of two and you can set on the third. But um, he left her. And of course the blue faced Lesters are supposed to be very, very good mothers. He, he took one of the lambs and he put it in the back of the pickup. And he took off to the other side of the field. And that sheep left the two lambs and ran after that pickup and jumped up into the pickup. That is what you call a maternal instinct. There is nothing stupid about sheep. But there is plenty that is fairly stupid about, about human beings. But to work with them and to learn throughout the process was what God deemed fit and appropriate for this man, Moses. And you find it with Abram as well. You find it with Jacob. You find it with Job. And then you come to New Testament times and you think, well, there were at least four or five of the disciples of Jesus who were fishermen. And you know, some people might screw up their nose about fishermen. But you see, we can get things all out of kilter. But God doesn't get anything at all out of a kilter. And when Moses is ready for God to use him, God says, Moses, go. And of course, Moses rebels and rebels and rebels. But ultimately, Moses does, in fact, to cut a long story short, Moses does go. But it's all down to the initiation of God. The great redemptive act of Old Testament history, it's God's, it's God's doing. And before I move on from this point, let's remember this. Moses messed things up severely, really severely, when he killed that Egyptian. He has to flee. Just because someone messes up severely does not mean for one second that you can't be at God's disposal somewhere down the line to do an amazing work for God. But that's not the way we often think. And that's not the way we often think because the enemy of our souls never leaves the people of God alone. And if you fall by the wayside or if you mess up, the enemy is always saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do the next thing because of who you are and the record you have got. But that's not the way God saw it in the case of, of Moses. God is the one who initiates. And that's been the way it has been in your salvation and mine if we are here as believers tonight. You know, if we have fled to Christ, we have fled to Christ for one reason and one reason only. We have been made aware of who we really are. We have been made aware of our sinfulness. And when you really appreciate your sinfulness and you really appreciate your own inability, it's then that you turn Godwards. And the astonishing thing is, God has made a great provision for people in such a situation. He has made such a great provision for, for such. And so, we love him because he first loved us. And we are reminded again and again throughout the pages of scripture that this is the work of God from the beginning and as we shall see right on uh, to, to the end. But the second thing is God enables right through. If you remember, if you remember when Moses goes to the king of Egypt, who is effectively the most powerful man on the face of the planet in those days. And there's a battle royal going on. 
between Moses and Pharaoh. Initially, Pharaoh laughs him to scorn. But by and by, you have the ten plagues that befall the land of Egypt. There's a battle between Moses and Pharaoh. But that's not the real battle. There's a battle of titans. And the battle is really between the most powerful man on the face of planet Earth. And the God who created planet Earth. And you know, at the end of the day, it's not really a battle. Because on any human being, it doesn't matter who they are or what they are, decides to have a clash with God. There's only ever going to be one outcome. Only ever. God crushes Pharaoh, ultimately. These plagues come... And these plagues bring Pharaoh to his knees, at least the latter ones. And he gets a wee bit of relief from them by and by and he changes his mind again. And he's back for more and you think, well, that's what the human race is like. That's what fallen humanity is like, is it not? But let's remember this. Every time you and I sin, it's a clash between ourselves and the eternal God that's what it is it's a human being saying okay I'll take you on it's a human being thinking in all our folly I'm going to beat him in this one and it's amazing how many times we fall into the same sin again and again and again we fall and we end up in tears and we say we'll never do that again it was abject folly and we're back same sin same folly same tears same fallen human being same eternal holy uh, God but for the children of um, for the children of Israel He initiates the work. He sends Moses and they're out. But right all along till we come to the point of the Red Sea God is working again and again and again and God is enabling. That is the way it is with everybody who is ever saved. We are so up and down, we are so topsy-turvy, we are so changeable, we are so fickle, we are so from one end of the spectrum to the next. But God gives us an enabling. Again, and again, and again, and again. Why does he do it? We cannot ultimately fathom out why God is who he is. But you know in the writings of Malachi this morning. you know what he was saying to these people. Who had so rebelled against him in so so many ways. You return to me and I'll return to you. That is what you call grace. That is what you call being gracious. And that's why we're here tonight. But uh, I want to look in particular at verse uh, 13. Let me, read, let me read it to you. Exodus 14 and at verse uh, 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. That's astonishing. When you put it in context, because let me read to you what comes before that. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? That is what you call audacity. That is what you call absolute audacity. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not this what we said to you in Egypt? 
Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Leave us in our bondage. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. What brazenness. But that is what sin conjures up. That is what sin conjures up. Look at the contrast. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. You know, when they stood there and they were feared greatly, they feared greatly because there was an insurmountable obstacle in front of them, the Red Sea. And there was terror coming behind them, the chariots of the Egyptians. What was their problem that caused them to fear greatly? What caused them to fear greatly was this. They had limited God. They were not trusting in him in the way that they ought to have trusted in him. This is the God who has just performed miracle after miracle after miracle before them. How could they forget? But then how can we forget? Why is it that we are almost out of our minds with anxiety and worry so often when we have seen so, so much of the workings of God in our own personal history? You see the parallels that there are between that great act of redemption in Old Testament times and our own personal redemption. And it's not that God's finished them at the crossing of the Red Sea. You know, he takes them to the border of the land that he promised to give them. And the twelve spies go in, and you probably you will know the rest of the story, they turn back. It's ten verses two. And the consequence of that rebellion is forty years wandering in the wilderness. But ultimately, God takes his people to where he wants them to be. So God just doesn't initiate the redemption from Egypt. He enables them all along and he accomplishes it. And that's exactly the way it is with your salvation and uh, with my salvation. There are days when we self-reflect. There are days when we self-analyze. And of course we're meant to do that. You know, at a communion season we often think of that text. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat and drink. So self-examination, it's an obligation. But it's a kind of dangerous obligation in this respect. We can get it so wrong when we just center on who we are and what we are. And that can be a very, very depressing experience. You cannot self-analyze without keeping an eye on Christ and on his word. Because the truth of the matter is, and of course the enemy of our souls has a strategy here as well, and the strategy is to just so get believers to see the enormity of their sin that uh, they're in fear that they'll be lost. And uh, an add-on to that is that, I don't know if you've read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, but if these demons cannot knock the faith out of a believer, and they can't, the next best thing is to show the world and to show the church miserable, miserable, miserable Christians. And we will be miserable Christians if we're just looking at ourselves. We will be. But we won't be if we keep an eye on ourselves and an eye on Christ. And who is it that he came to save? It's sinners he came to save. And will he accomplish the redemption of sinners? Yes, he will. 
You see, will we have his word on it? He's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. And so it's an initiation of God, it's an enabling of God, and it's an accomplishment, ultimately, of God. And if we are here this night and we are saved, we are believers. That's an astonishing thing. Absolutely astonishing. Why, oh why, should God have chosen to give you this blessing and to give me this blessing? I can't answer that question. I cannot answer it. But uh, someone once said, just bask in the glory of it. Just bask in the glory of it. And so we come back to this songwriter who says, And I upon thee all the day expecting do attend. Sometimes we don't think consciously of our dependence and reliance and expectation of God on a daily basis. But that is the way it is. That is the way it is. It is all of grace. It is all of God. And how we ought to bow and worship afresh this night, this God. Now let's conclude by singing the final few verses of uh, Psalm 102, uh, the second version, verse 23. My strength he weakened in the way, my days of life he shortened. My God will take me not away in mid-time of my days, I said. Thy years throughout all ages last. Of all thou hast established, the earth's foundation firm and fast. Thy mighty hands the heavens have made. We'll sing to the end of the song. Uh, (coughs) Psalm 102, the uh, second verse, and at verse uh, 23, my strength he weakened in the way.
Now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one, both now and forever.